Clubhouse bonus episode, Collaborative Planning Teams. Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Elite Educators, it's Gretchen here from Always a Lesson. I'm popping in here with a super exciting bonus episode. I have been leading chats on the Clubhouse app, which is an audio conversation platform for months now. I created the Instructional Coaching Club on Clubhouse, and I lead those chats Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, so I sure hope you join us. But if not, drum roll please, you can catch the replay right here. How cool is that? This is a new feature Clubhouse has rolled out, so the past chats we've held are not recorded. It's such a bummer. However, going forward, I will be sharing the replay with you here. Even more professional support for you on your edu leadership journey. So let's dive into the convo. Hey, Melissa. Welcome to the room. We are going to be talking all about effective collaborative planning teams. Inga is going to be on stage with me. I am just pinging a few people in. Feel free to type in your questions in the chat, or you may um, come up on stage and ask or contribute. But we are going to talk about, hey, Inga. Can you hear me? Hey, yes, can you? Yes, okay, there you are. How are you? Hey, I'm good, how are you? Good, where are you coming from? I forget again. I'm in Hampton, Georgia, just south of Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. So I'm in Charlotte, right outside of Charlotte. Hey, Denise. And we just got hit with snow. Are you guys getting hit at all? We are um, (laughs) more up north Georgia, but we did get some, it was coming down pretty fast, but it's not sticking. So. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, we got, I think two to four inches or something. And even if we get one inch, the world shuts down and not just that day, (laughs) but like the next few days. So who knows when we'll go back into school buildings, but it has been been so long. Everyone, I'm so glad you're here to um, get on the chat because we had two weeks off for Christmas break. And then I got hit with COVID. My whole family did, which I guess is a, I know it's a blessing and a curse. I guess it's better to all get it and get it over with. But every time someone new in the family got it, your five days starts over again. You're like, no, (laughs) I was so close to freedom. And I can only joke because this um, wave tended to be more like a cold. I certainly am not making fun of folks who had the original where it was just oh, yeah. oh, gosh, oh, yeah. awful. Yeah. But anyway, we aren't going to discuss staffing and, and COVID and all that tonight. Um, but <laughs> we are going to talk about collaborative planning. So Inga, give us a quick rundown on your background and then why you thought this was a great topic for tonight. Okay, so... I'm Inga Parker. I am a an instructional and personalized learning lead in Henry County Schools, which is, like I said, just south of Atlanta. This is my 21st year in education, my third year as an instructional lead. And we have had a big focus the last couple of years on collaborative planning, moving from, you know, you're the math person, you're the ELA person, and then everybody just bringing their content to the meeting and we talk about it and call it collaborative, collaborative planning to actually um, having those planning meetings and 
everybody discussing every subject. So I just think that we're moving in a really good direction with our teams. And so I just wanted to share some of what we're doing and how it's been um, beneficial. I agree with you. When we plan as a collaborative team, it does start out, everyone has a strength. And so everyone's like, well, we'll just do this the first two weeks. And then the two weeks become two months. And then by the end of the year, you're like, we really never got strong in any of the other subject areas. And we really didn't play to our strengths because that person worked as a silo. And there are certain schools where you don't have multiple grades per subject. So you might have to do things a little different, but if you have that many people, you just want the conversation to promote thinking in terms of what is best for kids? Are we meeting all their needs? How is the teacher presenting the material? Because and I hate that part of the conversation usually gets cut off. It's, it's usually thinking, what's the standard? What's our assessment? Okay, fill in in between. But we never really talk strategy. Uh, we might talk strategy for our high flyers or for the ones who are struggling but just how we're actually going to present it and what would be the different personalities sitting at the table, how everyone would approach it. We just don't give it enough time. Um, exactly. And I was chatting, I was chatting with a, another school lead and she said, I just run out of time. And I'm like, listen, there are lots that we can do to streamline and make an efficient conversation, but sometimes conversations just need a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. um, so that might be something we talk about is how do we continue the conversation? We didn't finish plans. We still have more to go. What are different ways to do that? Um, do you have suggestions? Well, what we've done is so we have our um, ELA and social studies planning on Tuesday after school, because that's what we were doing anyway. That was our grade level meeting time. But then we've added a, portion of the day on Wednesdays to plan for science and math. And so taking that chunk of time. And so our specials teachers have been amazing because we added on to those Wednesday block. Our whole Wednesday specials block looks different because of the collaborative planning time. So just splitting it up and adding that extra day has been so beneficial in giving us that extra time. Um, and so, of course, this will have to be an administrative scheduling change because that's what our principal and AP did. But it's, it just allows for us to dig deeper into the data, into the lessons, into the planning, into the reteaching. It just allows for those conversations. And then if there's anything left over from the Tuesday afternoon and the Wednesday meeting, Thursday planning time is set aside for that. Usually it's rare that anybody has to carry over into Thursday, we're usually leaving Tuesday and Wednesday with solid plans for the next week. So um, I think maybe once or twice early on, just when we were learning and, and you know, becoming familiar or, or comfortable with the conversations, with the modeling in the meetings, because one thing we were emphasizing um, was practicing. Like math may not be your strength, so you may need to see one of the experts on your team model how he or she is going to introduce the standard or practice, show you what he's going to do for one of the activities. And so we, we really try to incorporate some of that practicing into our team meetings too, because we're one of the few professions that don't practice. Like our, everybody practices, but we don't. 
and it's looked upon as a chore or that you're weak and the fact that you want to perfect it. But even in the classroom, we were talking before about efficiency in the meeting itself in the classroom. I mean, time is of the essence. If we can get it right in practice with our colleagues and in that practice, make it better. Then when we're in front of kids, we know it's as efficient as it's going to be. It's as accurate as it's going to be. And it's as helpful uh, to help students learn and achieve. And, and so it, I think the whole thing with collaborative planning is we have to shift our mind in terms of what it is. When I was in the classroom, I wanted to walk in, get my plans written and leave. I didn't want to have to do anything extra because I already had so much extra and I had another job on top of it. And I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that was my, my mindset. And I would get frustrated just like my teammates when you would be done with the meeting and part of it wasn't done or someone wasn't pulling their weight or, you know, you're waiting on someone to arrive on time and through norms and stuff, you can fix some of those behaviors. But I, I think in order for it to become truly collaborative, which is why I love Clubhouse and Twitter chats and stuff, is we have to give everyone a voice and we have to have something we're working towards. And no, it's not to fill in every box on a lesson plan. It's to ensure we are understanding what the content is that we have to provide, that we've thought through how we're gonna meet the needs of all our kids, and we've thought through the strategy of delivering high quality instruction. So it really is supposed to be a discussion. Now through that discussion, you're going to get, like you mentioned, kind of a layout or a structure of the lesson, but to actually fill it in and, and think of your own kids and tailor it to meet their needs and Think of your teaching personality and your experiences and whatever, you're going to have to do that, whether it's the night before the lesson or the week or, or what have you. And I'm just wondering, Inga, how have you helped teachers wrap their heads around the benefit of spending the time discussing and to your point, practicing rather than let's hurry up and fill all this out? Well, I think a couple of teachers, the first, well, it was hard the first few weeks I'll admit because the meetings are long and it's time consuming but a couple of upper grade teachers who had done it the previous way and you know the math person would bring the math but it wasn't great so they would go home and redo the math as opposed to having your plan laid out and going home and just making a few tweaks so that it fits you and so they noticed that what was happening was I'm spending less time at home redoing the whole plan, um, which might take an hour, two hours. And now I'm spending 10 or 15 minutes to make this plan fit me and my class and my needs, the needs of my class. So I think it kind of organically worked itself out where they saw that they were able to get ideas from colleagues and... Um, also not have a whole lot of work to do at home. One thing that we did, we rolled it out in phases though. So last year at the beginning of the, last year was our first year, you know, moving towards this collaborative planning model that was not including the isolated bringing your stuff. And so we started with math only. And so for the first semester, we only did collaborative, this type of collaborative planning for math. Then we added on ELA for the second semester. And then this year is when we went all in. So it was kind of slow rollout. And so they were able to take it and bite size, kind of learn the process. We had a few 
protocols that we introduced and allowed them to use to keep the conversation flowing and to make sure everybody's engaged in the conversation. So one one thing that um, really helps is pre doing the pre-work. So our pre-work requires everybody to bring a resource for that particular subject, a web, whether it's a website, an activity, a video, something, you have to come prepared with something. And so everybody has to go around and share their something for that particular um, content area. And so what we do is a quick brainstorm. Um, one of the protocols, I can't remember the name of it now, but whenever we introduce the standard in the meeting, each person has 30 seconds to tell what they have, how it might work, when it might be useful, whether it's an opening or um, guided practice or closing, whatever it is. And they would tell like how they'll use it. And so each person has about 30 seconds to go around and we go around a couple of times. So if you brought one thing, you go around your first round. If you don't have anything the second time, you can pass. And so this is a quick way just to get some ideas going and to get a brainstorming chart for some activities or resources that can be plugged into the plan. So that really helps to keep the conversation going and to make sure that everybody does their pre-work and brings their um, resources ahead of time. Yeah, uh, accountability is huge. I just want to comment really quickly um, and thinking about what was not working and what your plan does is accountability and ownership. So if you're relying on someone else to do the plan, you haven't spent time understanding the content. So just because they would hand you something, you still have to go home and dig through content, make sure you understand it, read through their plans, which when you're reading someone else's thoughts, sometimes it doesn't make sense. So then you're rewriting it to make it make sense. And then you've got questions. And it's just at the end of the day, it doesn't save you time, even though you're thinking in the moment it does. And that collaborative piece forces you to ask questions like, I don't understand this example or I don't understand this concept. What are different ways you explain it? What examples are you going to pull out and use? What are you going to model for kids? What exemplar are you going to show so that they know what it is they have to produce by the end of the lesson? And so your idea of everyone is coming prepared, meaning they looked through what uh, they're going to have to teach so they can bring something to contribute to the conversation. Now the accountability is there and the ownership is there because they're going to share out with their team. And so that jump starts the collaboration rather than it just being crickets. So, sorry, I just want to add that in there. You made me think of that. I'll, I'll pass it back to you. No, I agree. And, and also it doesn't feel like I'm just taking information from somebody, you know what I mean? Like, and Everybody plans at a different level of, with a different level of rigor. And sometimes we would get these watered down plans <laughs> and that may not be what's going to push the needle. So we need to amp it up. And so when we're in those collaborative planning meetings, we can have those conversations. And if somebody brings something that's a little less rigorous, we might talk about using that for uh, remediate. Maybe that'll be a good remediation activity or something like that. And but we're all able to have that discussion there. So and everybody walks away feeling nobody walks away feeling like their idea was not valued. We're going to plug it in somewhere if possible, even if it even if it has to go in a station or a center, we're going to plug those activities in because 
they need that extra practice. Students need that extra practice. So you're, everybody who's bringing something to the table, their ideas, their resources, they're all being utilized. So that's the other thing. Everybody feels valued when they're a part of these teams. So, Yeah. And to your point, there's always going to be time where you have to review material, whether it's in a center, you're spiraling content in morning work or for homework or over a spring break, summer packet or whatever you're making. So an idea is never a dead idea because it's not getting used tomorrow. So you can always have a bank where you hold all these things until you need to to get them for reinforcement. So I, I, I agree. Um, you were mentioning something about protocols and how you run it and streamline it. Um, what do you require teachers to do? Are you creating the format together or do you share with them an idea and expectation of what you want the collaborative planning to look like and, and feel like and sound like? Well, there's a, um, a planning document. Uh, part of it came from the county and then we modified it to make it fit our needs, of course. And so basically we go through it. There are guiding questions for the facilitator. Some grade levels are facilitated. By, so there's an admin team member in each team meeting. Some teams, the admin team member facilitates the meeting. Other teams, we co-facilitate. So like my two grade levels, the two grade levels that I support, we co-facilitate because they're pretty strong. Their grade level chair is a pretty strong, they're pretty strong facilitators. And so we just kind of bounce off of each other, asking those guiding questions. We always start with our, our data from our previous, um, previous week's assessment and talk about how that went. We have another protocol that we use um, called Assessment Academy. And so that's where we look at our worst to first. We have like five, five question CFAs on Fridays. And so we look at those worst to first. We look at the worst one and each teacher goes around and tells their percentage. Whoever has the highest percentage, they talk a little bit about how they taught that particular skill. And usually they did one little thing <laughs> that's different from everybody else that can be incorporated in a reteach for the other teachers. And so we kind of go around like that, go through the data, look at those um, skills that need to be addressed again the following week. And then we just move into our, um, our planning, our guided questions. We deconstruct the standard. We talk about what it means. Then we go through our resources. And then we go into planning our days. What is each day going to look like? So it's a pretty um, straightforward process. And we do the same thing each week. Our questions are the same each week. So as teachers are preparing or even reviewing their data or looking at the upcoming assessment, they're able to anticipate those questions and kind of begin to formulate those answers so that we're not spending a whole lot of time there either. You know, they know basically what we're going to ask and so they're able to go ahead and start thinking about that they know specifically what we're looking for with our previous assessment and so they're able to look at hmm what was the rationale for if everybody chose if 50 percent of my students chose c what what might they be missing if the answer was b you know what i mean so they go ahead and start formulating those ideas in their head so that when we come they have a general idea of what misconceptions the students may have had on that previous week's assessment. I love that you brought up details that 
it might be something small a teacher does to make it more effective. Because in my mind, when I was first on a team and we were planning together, I thought as long as I had the skeleton outline, we were all teaching pretty much the same way. And uh, my principal would come in and say, oh my gosh, this lesson is so different than these people over here. What is the deal? I'm like, well, I don't know. We planned together. We said this page and this standard and whatever. And we never talked about how, how are we going to be doing these things? And I love that you mentioned details. If we are going to have the conversation about instructional strategies or flow of the lesson or pacing or um, learning supports or whatever aspect of the actual lesson, that is what can make or break a whole classroom in terms of student achievement. And yes, it's important that teachers are, are knowledgeable and skilled and stuff, but sometimes having this conversation ahead of time will take a lesson that was average and make it better, make it great. And it's because of a small tweak. It's maybe you ask one more follow-up question or the student groupings you created or the slides you decided um, had too much text and you had one main question you were gonna ask them or things that you would think in the moment aren't gonna make a difference. But in the end, when you start comparing how you guys did this and which one had the best effect, you realize it is in the details. And so if that's true, we've gotta work backwards and say, how do we have the conversation ahead of time so that every teacher goes in knowing the details, doesn't mean you can't do other things, but knows the, the main milestones throughout the lesson. They wanna ensure that they do because they know it's gonna be effective based on prior experience or what have you, so that we have the greatest success rate, that we increase the likelihood more kids are gonna achieve and be successful and that more teachers are gonna be proficient. And so if we can, do all this ahead of time as best as we can and create the habit, whether it's weekly or monthly, however often you can do it. Yeah, we are going to really create a wave that's going to benefit kids and teachers and the school as a whole. Um, so I, I'm loving all these things you're saying. And I know ahead of time we were talking about characteristics that you're wanting the teachers to feel during these meetings. And you mentioned vulnerability and honesty and reflection. Why do you think those pieces are essential to have in your protocol or in your expectations or in your norms? Well, because I just think if they're not going to be vulnerable, vulnerable and honest, what's the purpose? Like we want to be real. We want for everybody to feel comfortable. And I don't know who has ingrained in teachers' brains that they have to be perfect, that they have to know it all. You have to be the expert in all the content areas. No, we, we won't be. We can't be. So there, I, ha I have my weak areas. I have my strengths. And so for them to understand that and feel comfortable sharing that with their team, um, I think is critical. And one of the things that happened again, kind of organically when we started having these meetings for myself, I, I, I've been a coach for three years, but the 18 years that I was in the classroom as a classroom teacher, EIP teacher, I was in the K2 world, <laughs> kindergarten through second grade. Um, I taught fourth and fifth graders my first four years, I think, of teaching 
well, not even my first four, but somewhere within my first four years back when we had QCCs as the standards. And so coming into Common Core and and into a fifth grade common plan, a collaborative planning meeting, I'm like, whoa, (laughs) what is this? And so I think my being vulnerable because I did not know, (laughs) um, particularly with math, um, like, Okay, show me what that looks like. Show me how you're going to teach that because right now I need a lesson. Like I seriously need the lesson. And so just my vulnerable 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 build, you know what I'm trying to say. My being vulnerable. <laughs> yes, I got you. <laughs> allowed them to kind of relax in the meetings and see Oh, she don't even know how to do that. So we're good. Let me let me say that I don't know how either. Let me just be honest and say, okay, I've only been teaching fifth grade for two years. Person who's been teaching fifth grade for 10 years. Can you get up and show me how you're going to teach this? Because I really don't know. And so I think that and this has not happened in all of our teams quite yet with um with ease. I mean, it's, it's coming, but it's still not quite as natural for some people but like for one team I'm thinking about in particular they just get up they okay show me how to do this I don't know how to do that how are you going to introduce that uh what how are you going to do that activity what exactly are you going to do no tell me what you're going to say to your kids you know what I mean like we're having those conversations in one of my teams and it just feels good because it's okay to not know and I appreciate the fact that they're okay with saying they don't know, because if you don't know, what are you going to do? You're going to teach the kids wrong. So say it to us, we can correct it. And then you'll go in there feeling confident and, and be able to deliver some strong content. So I just think it's important for them to be honest, because if we think you understand and you don't, that's worse because you're going to go in there and jack it up. So (laughs) Say that you don't know and we'll help you through. It's so true. And I like that you bring up the fact some teachers need different things. So although you have a protocol, you are still personalizing your approach and helping teachers plan and deliver a lesson. And that might be scripting or practicing in front of each other. What are you actually going to say? What are the words out of your mouth? And I know a lot of folks are in their head like, I know exactly what to say. Well, what if the kid doesn't get it? What if when you repeat it, they still don't get it? And what if you've run out of examples? What are you going to do? You know, like, let's have a game plan. Let's talk it through um, the nitty gritty of the lesson and not just this surface level. Because when you do start doing learning walks or as a coach, you get to see lots of different classrooms in action. And you can definitely tell the ones who are pushing student learning further because of the way that they've studied the content or that they've given students multiple rounds of learning for uh, of that specific topic, you know, or just the way they present it is so kid friendly because they truly have done the work behind the scenes to deliver it in a way that it's bite sized, that they're doing the guided practice and practicing with the kids, that there's a lot of collaboration and question and answer. Um, and that they've really tied together previous lessons. I mean, all these things and all of that can happen in every classroom. You don't have to go on a learning walk to do it. You don't have to be in a coaching position to go see great instruction. It can happen by the collaboration happening in the planning process. And I just believe so wholeheartedly that even though 
it's going to take a while to ramp up to what an ideal collaborative planning should look like, you can still make small strides along the way. And you might say, this is the ideal. Let's plan backwards every month. I want to add in a new layer or I'm going to increase expectations or whatever. And you can take the lead if your teams are really doing well. I mean, don't slow down, go with it. But I think we can all go back immediately to our school buildings, decide where are we in this process. Maybe none of us are really having great discussions in the planning phase, or some of us have great systems, but maybe you've heard something tonight that you're like, no, I need to add that in. But evaluate, where are you in, in collaboration with teams in terms of delivering great quality instruction and its effect on students? So it's not just that these are great deliverers, it's that it's actually translating to student learning to, to the achievement part. What's the evidence? How do we know that this is working? Just because I enjoyed your lesson, it was really engaging, and I left laughing and in a great mood, doesn't mean that the kids get it and that it, it stays with them, not just today, but tomorrow and always. And so we've got to figure this out in the planning phase. And so do your self-assessment. Where are you right now in your schools? And next, decide what is my first step? So Inga, what's a great first step? Maybe someone who has not no planning in terms of what we've talked about tonight. They just come together, they swap plans, and they're done. I would say a first good step would be to choose one subject area that you're going to make your true collaborative planning um, subject and just begin to have your teachers come in, talk, bring some pre-work. They, ha they have to do the work ahead of time. And that was one of the, um, I would say, biggest hurdles for us because it felt like more time on the front end. But once they realize it's going to save you a bunch of time on the back end, I know it feels like a lot on the front, but it's going to save you time. It's going to save you time, particularly those teachers who are going to go home and redo those plans. Doing that pre-work and everybody doing that pre-work is going to save time. So I would say choose one subject and kind of do a, a soft rollout with collaborative planning by having them do the, do the pre-work, which means everybody's going to look at the standard. Everybody's going to bring at least one resource or a tool that goes aligns with the standard and then begin those conversations around how you're going to teach the standard, what resources you brought and how those resources will fit into your weekly plan. So I, I would roll it out slow because too much too fast can sometimes be overwhelming and won't be successful so a slow rollout would be my my recommendation that sounds great and it doesn't mean you can't show them the vision like where are we trying to go what's mm -hmm. the benefit what's the purpose but then to say okay let's put the blinders on this is step one we're doing this first till we nail it till we get in our flow and then we'll try other subjects or or whatever so what if someone has a school who's been doing something like this how do they step it up a notch? What would you say is you're ready to really maximize what you've already started as a foundation? What would that first step be, do you think? If you already have your collaborative plan, planning teams in place, I would say reflection is your next step. Is it working? How beneficial is it? What are your results saying? What are your, um, your student achievement results saying? 
And do you have the right framework for your collaborative planning um, team? When we started initially, we had one format and it was okay. And it was the same across the board. But then we started reflecting and saying, I think three through five needs something different. And then again, reflecting and saying, okay, fourth and fifth grade definitely need something different because they're potting. So their template should look different. And then K2, there's a couple of things that may need to come off of theirs because they have so many um, little micro pieces in bed, like ELA, for example, they're doing phonics, they're doing writing, they're doing reading. So just taking a few pieces off of their template. And so just reflecting, if, if you have a good collaborative planning system, just re reflecting to see if there are any improvements that can be made to the process, making sure that those conversations are going deep and that they're engaging and that everybody is participating. If you have a collaborative planning process and you don't have protocols that allows everybody's voice to be heard, that would be my next suggestion. Make sure that everybody is participating because you can even have collaborative, plan collaborative planning teams and one person is still silent or one person feels like their um, resources aren't valuable or that their input isn't valuable. So they're sitting off to the side. So making sure you have something that allows for everybody's voice to be heard. That would be my next steps there. That sounds so good. Welcome, Brenda. Welcome, Trinia. Denise, I invite you to the stage. I'd love to hear your comments or questions now that we've kind of walked through planning, sharing the purpose, sharing the protocols, talking ideas about productivity. Tell me what you got. Hey, Melissa, we'll get to you in just a sec. Okay. Thanks so much for the invite. So I teach at the, the high school level and I wish that my team was um, as collaborative as what you all have just talked about. I think we're still in that like infancy kind of stages of really getting to that point. But because I work also at a rural like K through 12 school, like I'm the only one that really teaches what I do. So it does make it hard to do that collaborative planning, like planning piece. But it would be, I mean, it does make such a dif difference when you do have those teammates to plan with. I, I have, you know, early in my teaching career, um, I did have that a little bit, um, and it does really make the difference. It also makes the differences when you're looking at student achievement. So I just, I love how, um, Inga, how you got on here and just shared what you're doing and what's really working. And it's definitely something that we can all strive for. And with that, I will give it back to Gretchen. Oh, sorry. Getting stuck on mute. Yes, Denise. And I love that you're always sharing different perspective from subject areas and different levels of school and what it might look like. And I think these conversations, to your point, are great. Even if we aren't operating under whatever idea we're talking about for the night, it is good to hear how other people are doing things and picking and choosing what makes sense and to feel motivated and ignited to try something new and to to feel that support. So I'm so glad that you were able to hear some new things and, and give you something to really think uh, about. Melissa, welcome. What do you want to share tonight? Either comments or questions? Um, hi, thank you all for this topic. This is uh, so needed uh, at this time, you know, and where I am with my teams. Uh, we have been during the, co doing the, co the collaborative planning, we've been rehearsing 
So we were rehearsing Reader's Workshop last semester, and now we're going to take, uh, we're going to pivot and start rehearsing small group instruction. And, and specifically focusing on foundational skills because that's where our students are the lowest. And I am a K through uh, pre-K through one instructional coach. And so I deal a lot with the, you know, the, the foundational piece of reading. And so um, I'm really appreciative for this topic. And my a, a question, I guess, or maybe some support that I need is, you know, since we are switching from Reader's Workshop to small group instruction, I'm a little... I guess, for the lack of a better word, scatterbrain as far as how to structure it. And I've, you know, pride myself in getting input from the teachers. So I've, you know, gotten input from them and, you know, they wanted to work on foundational skills because that is, you know, an area where we are the lowest at this time. And so I love the idea of using a protocol, um, and I love, you know, the ideas that you all gave about, you know, deconstructing the standards, you know, looking at, you know, the assessment, you know, how you're going to assess this specific uh, standards or whatever the case may be and having them to bring in resources uh, and then, you know, moving into planning. And so we have like 45 minutes for planning and we only meet one day a week. Um, to do planning and it's every other week. One week we'll do social studies and the other week we'll do language arts. And so um, I need some, I guess like <laughs> a tool or, or, or I guess a, someone to help me kind of um, streamline, it, streamline it so that it's not all over the place when we meet. Does that make sense? Yes, I'm gonna let Inga take it. Oh, okay, it does. And I would say that a protocol is perfect for that because when I tell you this little, I don't, I don't know the name of it, round robin protocol for lack of a better okay. phrase, because that's what it really feels like. And mm -hmm. it literally, you're talking 30 seconds. One person's talking 30 seconds. What did you bring? 30 seconds. Next person, what did you bring? 30 seconds. So you think we have a, if on our largest team is a six man team on a six man team, three minutes, six people have shared. Mm -hmm. um, and then if they need, if, if more people have reset, more people have more resources, we go around again. That's mm -hmm. another three minutes. So in six minutes, we have 12 resources, activities, ideas to pull from, and everybody has spoken. So okay. Think about, um, and a lot of times we'll use like a brainstorming chart. And so I might be the writer and I'll get up and as they're talking, I'll just jot everything on our brainstorming chart. So after those six minutes, we have a brainstorming anchor chart full of ideas. And then once we begin to move into our planning, we're pulling ideas from our chart and kind of plugging them in to wherever they would fit and that's when the deep conversation starts to happen and you can even well we even on our protocol on our um collaborative planning template we have times allotted for each section so our first data review might be seven minutes i don't have the protocol in front of me but i'm just talking off the top of my head so it might be seven minutes for the first data review. Then we preview the upcoming assessment. That might be another seven minutes. 
then we start our brainstorming. That's six minutes. You know what I mean? So in 20 mm-hmm. minutes, we've gone through both of our assessments and we have brainstorming ideas to start plugging into our plan. So I think time, time, timing, having a time for each section is going to be critical, particularly with only 45 minutes. That's quick. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think just being intentional about setting a time for each section and a time for each person to talk is going to be beneficial. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Just a quick thing to add on there. Inga, thanks so much for that. Uh, Melissa is feel like when you're building a house, you want to spend time on each level. You don't want to just push through each level to get it done. So for example, with the protocol Inga's mentioning, if you're noticing you're not getting through it fast enough, or you're just not, it's not getting done well, then slow down and you can do piece by piece and get it done right. Because each of these bricks is, is building a stronger foundation for the next layer that you're going to be building in. And you don't want to be building that something that's not solid rock. So don't feel like you can't pump the brakes if your teams aren't quite getting it or they're not going deep enough or the collaboration isn't as rich yet before you start laying layering everything in. And so have the ideal in mind. Listen to what Inga's saying about what the protocol is going to look like to start with. And then my just last two cents is don't be afraid to slow down if necessary to ensure it's done right and done well before you speed up and add in all the different pieces. And that's what I thank you so much for that, ladies. And that's what I think that I'm going to have to do is because our time is limited. um, I'm going to have to, you know, I guess focus primarily at first on you know the the brainstorming piece because what i do is i send them an email um two weeks ahead of time this is what you know we're going to be rehearsing this is what you need to bring or bring this is your lesson make sure that you review the lesson and that you bring all the pieces uh, needed for the lesson as well as uh, i give them a template uh, uh, our lesson planning template and i have each person okay this is our rehearsal template fill in your lesson they only have to do like one lesson for readers workshop and so I, you know, that was the pre-work that was involved. So when we came, all we had to do was rehearse and, you know, show show all of our resources and talk about, you know, primarily how we would teach this lesson and how we would assess it. And so now that we're switching to small group instruction, it's going to be a little different. Uh, I think I am going to just focus primarily on having them to, you know, share what resources they've brought, you know, and completing the, the the brainstorming chart. And of course, you know, looking at the data and, um, and just, you know, seeing how, how, you know, that part goes because, you know, you know, we are, uh, pressed for time and I do want it to be meaningful. I do not want it to be rushed because I want them to leave, you know, with something. They may not leave with the whole plan at first, but at least they will leave with some resources to uh, to plug into their plans. Yep, agree. And remember, you're building the habit. And just like in the beginning of the school year, you're spending so much time on routines and procedures, and you're like, Ugh, I'm never going to get through all the content. But you know very quickly things catch on and you make up for that lost time. And the same thing's going to happen with these collaborative planning teams as you're building the new habit and you guys are getting used to what the expectations are and getting the pre-work done and bringing everything and what kind of collaboration needs to happen and, 
And then what happens once you leave the meeting, like all those things. And eventually you're just going to start speeding through. Um, so I, I agree. I think everyone needs to decide how fast they can go and what their first couple steps are. Uh, Inga, I'll pass it to you to give us any last tips. And then we'll go through all four of us and share how we can connect. Because I know folks are going to listen to the replay. All right. Sounds good. And I will add, Melissa, too, that it was a slow go for us at the beginning. We're we're pretty we're rolling now, but it was not. I, I, I after I said it, I was like, well, it really didn't happen that fast initially, but now we're in a good place. So um, just with a little practice, it, it, it speeds up. It does. So um, final thoughts on collaborative planning. Guys, it is the best. It saves time in the end. It, it, I know it seems like a lot of time to put in on the front end, but it really does save time on the back end. And one thing I've noticed is the lessons look and sound a whole lot better. And our achievement is showing our student achievement. We're seeing the results there. So definitely worth the time. I love it. The proof is in the pudding. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right. I want to whip around really quick uh, to Inga, Denise, and Melissa. Thanks for coming on stage and asking questions and sharing your feedback. Folks are going to listen to the replay. They're going to want to either follow up with questions or they just want to connect with you and grow their own PLN. So decide what platform you'd love to send them to. And when you are ready, Inga, we'll start with you. Tell us where we can connect with you. Okay. I'm at Love Lead literacy on Facebook and Instagram. That's love lead literacy on Facebook and Instagram. Great. Thank you. Denise, how about you? They can find me on Twitter at Miss Newsom's Notes and also on Instagram at the same Miss Newsom's Notes. You guys are making it easy. Love it. All right, Melissa, to you. Well, I really don't have a platform, a social media platform. Well, I do have one on Twitter, but the best way to connect with me is via uh, my uh, district email. And that is MD, as in David, M-D-M-I-L-L-I-G at G-A dot A-L-E-F, A-L-I-E-F-I-S-D dot net. Great. I will end up sharing pieces of this on the podcast too. And I will share all of those handles so folks can find you. You ladies have been in rooms with me before. So it's just always good to see you. Inga, big thanks to you for bringing this great topic and always being just a great comod. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I certainly enjoyed it. Good. We are here on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern to talk all things leadership and coaching. Sometimes we take breaks and do every other week, just depending on what crazy week has happened, but we are happy to be back on schedule. Great to see you all wishing you a fantastic week ahead and please stay healthy. All right, y'all go be great. Bye. Good night. Good night. All right, elite educators. I hope you found value in that clubhouse chat. All resources mentioned will be in the show notes. Just visit www.alwaysalesson.com, click on podcast, and find this bonus episode. Wishing you an empowered school year. Go be great.